Hey, I've got an annoying habit, and I wonder if I'm the only one in the room that does this. I have a tendency to walk downstairs in my house, open up the fridge, and just stare blankly for five, six, seven minutes at a time. And then I won't find anything. And so I'll shut the fridge door, and I'll walk over into the pantry, and I'll stand there, and I'll stare, and I don't find anything there. So I think to myself, apparently, there must be something I missed in the fridge. And so I'll walk back, and I'll open the fridge door, and I'll be standing there staring. And every so often, Amber will walk over, and she'll say, what are you looking for? And you would think that I would have a good answer to that. You would think that I'd be able to tell her, well, I'm looking for a steak. I was just hoping that there was a ribeye in there that I had overlooked. You'd think I would have an answer, but I never seem to know what it is that I'm looking for. So every single time that she asks me, what are you doing? I always say, I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking for. I'm hoping that something will appear. It's like I'm looking for something, but I can't quite name what it is. There's something in our fridge or our pantry that's missing, but I'm not able to identify what that something actually is. Anybody else do that? You're not the only one? Oh, thank God. Okay, that was good because I thought, man, if I'm the only one, this is not going to go over very well. So lots of you do that, and I'm thankful for it. I think that idea of just staring, looking for something, but you don't know what it is, not being able to put words to it, but deep down inside, you know something is missing. I think that's a picture of a lot of people and even a lot of churches in our world today. We know that something is not quite right. Something is just missing deep down inside of us, but we're not able to put that something into words. And that can be extremely frustrating. There's nothing more frustrating than to want something, to know you need something, but to not be able to identify what that something actually is. So I'm going to make an argument today And I'm going to give you kind of the bottom line for our whole message this morning right up front. So if you hear this and then you want to go to sleep, okay, cool, because you've already got the main thrust of the message. The rest is just filler, okay? I'm going to make an argument this morning that maybe we aren't missing something. We're missing someone. Maybe what you and I need is not a something. It is a someone. Maybe in your life, You feel like it's empty. Something is just not right. You wish you could identify it. You thought at one point maybe it was a relationship and then, no, it didn't turn out to be a a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You thought it was more money and then you got that. And then you thought it was a new house or a new car and you got all those things. You thought a move was going to fill the void. It was going to give you what you were looking for. You kept looking for something, but you were never able to find it. Maybe you've been a part of churches and you walked in the door And you sat down, and they were perfectly nice. I mean, there was nothing wrong with it. They weren't jerks. They weren't crazy. But it seemed like something was missing. You couldn't put your finger on it, but there was just something you couldn't quite identify that seemed to be lacking. And I want to make the argument this morning that maybe it isn't a something at all. Maybe what people and even churches are missing is someone, not something. So this is week three, 
of our series that we're calling Miracles. Don't worry if this is your first time here and you're like, oh, I didn't see week one and I didn't see week two. Does that mean I'm gonna be lost? No, it's totally fine. Um, let me catch you up real quick so you kind of know where we've been. So week one, we talked about how any sane and rational person could believe in miracles. Like, isn't it just crazy to believe that there are even miracles that happen in our world? Hasn't science proven that that sort of stuff doesn't happen? And so I took 30 minutes the first week in January, and I did my best to explain how you can have a worldview that allows for miracles and not be a nutcase. I did my best. Now, I don't know that I was perfect and maybe I didn't address every one of your arguments, but if you didn't hear that message, it's as much TED Talk as it is sermon. So you can go back and listen to it. You don't have to feel like you're going to church on Tuesday afternoon or anything like that. It's my best effort. So I hope you'll give it a listen if you're a skeptic. If you're like, I don't even believe in God, much less that he's doing miracles around me, that seems completely crazy. Go listen to week one. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that all of us want miracles. We want God to do something in our lives, but often we want him to do these things for selfish reasons because we want God to make us comfortable. He, we want God to make us happy. We say, oh God, I know what I need in my life. And if you would just do a miracle and give that to me, then I'll finally be happy and fulfilled. But we discovered last week from the scripture that when God works miracles, he does it for his glory, not for your comfort. And until you really internalize that, then you'll never understand why sometimes God will say yes to doing something powerful, and then other times he'll say, no, you're going to figure this one out on your own. And often it comes down to our motive for asking and whether or not a particular path is going to give him a great deal of glory. Now, as we move into the last two weeks, we're making a switch. There's going to be a bit of a pivot in the way that we approach these messages. And for some of you, this is gonna be really exciting because the first two weeks, we have talked about how God works miracles among us, that in our world, God is active and at work. But over the next two weeks, we are gonna pivot and we are gonna start talking about how God not only works miracles among us, but that God works miracles through us. Now, I know some of you charismatics are like, yes, finally. And some of you Baptists are like, I don't think that happens. Okay, I'm gonna be able to bring both of you guys on this journey, I promise. Next week, I am going to tell you the story of the only time in my life that I genuinely believed God used me to work a miracle in somebody else's life. I know that sounds crazy. I'm, I'll tell you next week. I'm, just, I'm still not even sure what to make of all of that, but I'm gonna tell you that story next week, so you've gotta come back next Sunday, okay? We're gonna pivot from God doing miracles in us or to us to how God wants to use you to do miraculous things that will impact and change the world around you. So in order to do that, we're actually going to look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a really important book in the Bible. And I'll explain what it is if you're not really familiar with the scripture and things like that. Because the early church, like the original followers of Jesus, they had trouble understanding how God could use them to do powerful, world-changing things as well. And so as you read their story, I think you're actually gonna see a lot of yourself in them because I certainly see a lot of myself. So we're gonna start in Acts chapter number one this morning. <clears throat> Verse number one starts off, and the Bible says, 
In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Okay, you may have a lot of questions right away just reading that one verse. Apparently, somebody wrote this particular book as a sequel, a second act, so to speak, to an earlier book about the life and death of Jesus. And that person we find out is actually Luke, the same guy who wrote the gospel according to Luke. So if you were, we're not going to, but if you were to go back to Luke chapter number one, there's an introduction to that book where Luke says, hey, Theophilus, which is a a man's name in Greek. It's a male name, so it's somebody. He says, hey, bro, Theophilus, you've wondered what specifically did this Jesus guy say and do while he was here on the earth? And so I have set about to write down every detail I possibly can so you would know who he was and what he did, okay? Then he says, well, the story doesn't end there. I kind of wrote one big book for you, but the story doesn't end there. I wanna continue the story and tell you about what happened to Jesus' followers after he was crucified buried, and resurrected. So the book of Acts becomes a sequel to all the gospels. It's the continuation of the story. So all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of the life and death of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts tells the story of how his followers continued on with his legacy after he rose from the dead. And then as we'll see, he ascended to heaven. So maybe that gives you a little bit of context of who this is and why it's being written. One, one more quick thing. You can trust this for a bunch of different reasons, but let me give you a good one. We find out later in the New Testament that Luke, the guy who wrote the gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts was a physician. He was a doctor in ancient Greece. And so he was a smart guy. He set about doing things very orderly. He cared about details. This wasn't just like, oh, let me jot down a few random memories here. But he had a purpose. And his book is structured in ways that other books of the Bible aren't because it is meant to detail actual historical events. Now, you might say, I don't believe in those historical events. Okay, that's your prerogative. But Luke certainly believed in them when he wrote them down for us. So Acts chapter number one, he says, I've chosen to write all this down to teach you all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's gonna be super important this morning. During the 40 days after Jesus suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So if you go back and you read the book of Luke, Jesus is arrested, he's put on trial, he's crucified as an enemy of the Roman government because people started to say, oh, he's the king. We wanna follow him and not Caesar. And so he's put to death and the scripture says that he goes into the grave for three days and what do we celebrate on Easter? His resurrection. And after he rose from the dead, he didn't float as a ghost up to heaven. The Bible says for 40 days, he stuck around 
and he appeared to the disciples. And if you read the book of Luke, you know what you find out? The disciples didn't understand what was going on. They didn't believe that Jesus, the man that they had walked with for three years, had risen from the dead. Because generally, people don't rise from the dead. That's a pretty incredible miracle. And so Jesus does all of these things to prove that he is actually alive. He talks with the disciples. He lets the disciples touch the nail scars in his hands. He's physical, tangible. He eats with the disciples. Not many ghosts are able to eat. And so he's proving that I'm the same guy and there's something supernatural, something miraculous going on here. In verse four, the Bible says, once when he was eating with them during this 40-day period after he was crucified, before he ascended into heaven, when he was eating with the disciples, he commanded them, do not leave the city of Jerusalem until God the Father sends you the gift that he promised, as I told you before. John the Baptist, who's a guy that you can read about in the gospels, John the Baptist baptized you with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. You're gonna find Holy Spirit a lot in the book of Acts. He seems to be pretty important. And so it would, it would be wise for us to take just a moment and make sure you understand who the Holy Spirit is. If you were to go to the Gospel of John, chapter number 14 and chapter number 16, Jesus begins to teach his disciples about who this Holy Spirit is. And what we find from that passage and from many others in the Bible is that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. Maybe you've heard that word before. Maybe it's brand new. He's the third member of the Trinity. There's the Father, there's the Son, and then there is the Holy Spirit. Or if you're real old school, you say the Holy Ghost, but that confuses people. So we've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father are all referred to as God. You need to understand that. All three of them are called God at various points throughout the scripture. That is because all three of them are what we would say are co-equal. That is like, it's not like God's here and then Jesus is second in command and then the Holy Spirit is like the part-time guy over here, okay? They are all co-equal together. None of them are ahead of, in front of, or beyond the other two. They are co-eternal. That means that they have always existed. Jesus took a moment in time that he was born into our world, Bethlehem in like 2 BC. Weirdly enough, you may not know this, but Jesus was actually born before 0 AD. It's kind of strange, but anyway, Jesus took a moment where he entered our world. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus has always existed because he is a member of the Trinity, the tri-unity, the Godhead. The same is true of the Holy Spirit. And here's the last thing that I really want you to understand about the Holy Spirit. Man, Star Wars has ruined our theology of the Holy Spirit. I love Star Wars. I even like The Last Jedi, but this in particular has so screwed up our thinking on the Holy Spirit. We tend to think of the Holy Spirit as as the force. 
He is the thing that permeates all things. And there's a light side and a dark side. And we can tap into that force like electricity and do amazing things. No, that is not what the Bible teaches. You see, the Holy Spirit, according to the scripture, is a person and not a force. You can have a relationship with a person. You can't have a relationship with force. If you knew somebody and they said, yeah, I've got a relationship with electricity, you'd be dialing a counselor. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has a personality. He has a will. You could have conversation. He has desires. He has actions. A force does not have those things. If you were raised perhaps in a Buddhist background, you might be familiar with this idea of an impersonal force. That is not the Holy Spirit of the Bible. He is a person who is co-eternal, co-equal, and co-powerful with the Father, and with the Son. This is why we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three of them, okay? All right, that was really deep, I'm sorry, but it's important that you understand this. If you wanna learn more, go read John chapter number 14 and John chapter number 16. It'll take you like 15 or 20 minutes. It's not a long passage. So go read those two chapters and they'll help. All right, let's move on here. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. John baptized you with water, but in just a few days, I will, uh, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, okay, you died. Now you've raised from the dead. They kept asking him, Lord, is now the time? Has the time come for you to free the country of Israel from Roman persecution and restore our kingdom? Jesus replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times because even within the Trinity, there are particular responsibilities that belong to each member of the triune Godhead. So when we think about our salvation, we find in the Bible that God the father selects us, the son saves us, and the Holy Spirit seals or secures us so that God's choice and Jesus' sacrifice can never be undone in your life, no matter what you do no matter how far you might wander away, no matter what mistake you might make, the scripture says the Holy Spirit seals you so that it cannot be undone in your life. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. Don't worry about that, guys. This is not like, that's above your pay grade. Don't focus on that. Instead, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in the city of Jerusalem, throughout the region of Judea. You'll go into other countries like Samaria and even to the ends of the earth you will receive power to be my witnesses. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white robed men suddenly stood among them. These are angels. Anytime anybody appears in white robes, it's usually an angel. And they said, men of Galilee, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Now, let me point out one really important word in this passage. I've even highlighted it for you because I'm gonna ask you and I want it to be really clear. What does Jesus say you will receive through the Holy Spirit? Power, thank you. It's not a trick question. I told you. Come on, A plus for these guys. Power, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. 
And so let me just pause for a sec and say that if you are living a life and you say to yourself, I don't experience much power. I don't experience power to overcome the rhythms and habits that just seem to hold me down. If you say, I, I don't see anybody in my life who's being transformed because of my relationship with Jesus. If you don't see power in your life, maybe it's not that you're missing something, it's that you're missing someone. If you go to a church if Connect ever becomes a church where there is no power, there is no transformation, there's no passion, there's no excitement, maybe it's because we've left out the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Godhead. When we understand who the Holy Spirit is, the byproduct is power to see amazing, unbelievable, unexplainable, miraculous things happen in you and through you. If you don't believe that, then you'll probably never experience that. The scripture says the Holy Spirit brings power. All right. Over the next couple of verses here in chapter number one, the disciples start to wrestle with the fact that Judas was one of the 12 apostles and he betrayed Jesus. What do we do about that? What does that mean? And should we elect or choose somebody else to join the 12 apostles? They were 11 apostles by that point because after Judas betrayed Jesus, he felt so bad, he went out and hung himself, hanged himself. He committed suicide. And so um, the apostles say, let's choose somebody else. And so the rest of Acts chapter number one is them choosing a guy named Matthias to be the new 12th disciple. All right, you can read about that if you want to. In verse number one, we kind of get to the, the meat of where we're going this morning. The Bible says, on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost is a holiday that Jews celebrated. It was 50 days after the Passover. Jesus was also crucified on the Passover. And so 50 days after he was hung on a cross and then buried in a tomb and raised from the dead, 50 days later, all the believers were meeting together in one place. There were about 120 of them at the time. That's it. It was a real small church. They were all meeting together in one place and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, all right, here comes the miracle. Here comes the Baptist getting uncomfortable. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. The Holy Spirit shows up in power. He demonstrates what it is that he can do. At this time, the scripture says, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard this loud noise, they came running and they looked bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So if you're wondering what it means when it says they began to speak in languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability, it's gonna explain what it means in this particular circumstance. It says, these men who were outside, they heard a kaboom in a house and they came running to see what was going on. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from the region of Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are and they list a whole bunch of different countries that they're from. I'll probably say some of these wrong because I'm not very smart, but that's okay. He says, here we are. 
Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas around Libya and Cyrene. There were visitors from Rome who were both Jews and converts to Jerusalem, to Judaism rather. There were Cretans and they were Arabs. And they said, yet we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed, the Bible says. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. These dudes are drunk, it's nonsense. You know what we learn from this passage? We're gonna break it down for a sec here, but you know what we learn from this passage? The miraculous power of the Holy Spirit is real. It's real. It's real. It's not just a fiction It's not like a fake story somebody made up so you'd feel a little better in your circumstances, but that God is at work every moment of the day in you, and he wants to be at work every moment of the day through you. He wants to do things that you could never do on your own. These guys did not speak these languages. They could not speak in these extra tongues. And yet, when they spoke in their language, it was like somehow the Holy Spirit just interpreted it so that all the other foreign language speakers could understand in their mother tongue. And I believe, I really do, that God wants to do stuff just like this in our world today. And I believe that's true because that's what the scripture tells us, that he wants to give you the power to do things that are beyond your capabilities. He wants to use you, you, little old you. He wants to use you to change the city of Calgary. He wants to use you to change the city of Airdrie. He wants to use you to change your family. He wants to use you to change this church for the better. He wants to use you because he offers you power that you will never have on your own. You might think to yourself, well, Dan, maybe this is how things worked a long time ago, like in the first century with the early church or with super hyper spiritual people, but I don't think that's gonna work for me. I don't have stories of miracles. I don't feel like there's a lot of power flowing around me every single day. And I think that's because you don't know enough about the Holy Spirit yet. And when you do, it will transform the way you look at your day. It'll transform the way you look at your family. It'll transform the way you look at your job. It'll transform the way you look at this church because what you're missing is not something, it's someone. The power that he offers to us as the followers of Jesus, it is real. And it's so important that Jesus actually told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit shows up. That is, don't try to do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit behind you. We don't want a life. We don't want a church where the things that are happening can be explained without the Holy Spirit. I want a life where people look at the things that go on around me and they're like, I don't even know what's happening with that dude. Like he has changed and it's for the better. And the people around him seem to be better because he's there. I don't want people to look at our church and say, wow, they're growing pretty well. That's cool. Yeah, like 15 months old and man, they're filling up theater number one. That Dan, he's a good preacher and they sure do have a good worship team. And no, 
I want people to look at Connect and say, I don't, that wasn't a Canadian accent, just so we're clear. As an American, that was like not, I was not imitating you guys. Please know that. I was actually imitating some people from my old church, so I hope they don't listen to this. But anyway, I want them to look at Connect and say, Holy Spirit. I mean, it's, it's a power. There is something that's happening in theater number one. I don't know. Lives are being transformed. Marriages are being saved. People who've been doubters their whole life have suddenly come to believe something that they never thought they would. It's like power is present and we want to use that power to point people back towards the Holy Spirit, the God who works it all for us. Man, if we can really understand who the Holy Spirit is, there is real power. So if you are struggling, and I don't know what your struggle is, you're asking for a miracle. I want to point you away from your situation and towards the miracle worker, the Holy Spirit, who has power and power in abundance for you. So let's keep going here. The scripture says this, uh, where are we gonna start here? Peter stepped forward. Verse number 14, Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowd because they're all like, what is going on? This is crazy. And some people are like, they're drunk. And other people are like, no, there's something more. Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock is way too early in the morning for something like that. You gotta wait till 1130. no. What you see is predicted or was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And so then he goes on to quote some verses from the book of Joel. And he says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will speak prophecies. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, both men and women alike, and they will all prophesy. You know what we see in these verses? Not only is the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit real, but it is available to you today. It is available to you today. Do you understand how big this statement is, especially in the ancient world? It's big today, but it was really big in the first century to say that God will speak to men and women equally. Do you have any idea how big it is in a culture, the first century culture that valued elders above and beyond anything else. If you were a young person, wait your turn. Eventually people will respect you. Do you have any idea how big it is for God to say, I will give the same gifts to young people and old people alike? Do you have any idea how big it is that God would say, I will pour out my servant, uh, my spirit on both servants and free people. That is, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what your business title is. It does not matter. God has a power that he wants to empty, pour out into your life, regardless of who you are, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of anything. Hey, let me go a step further, and I'm going to lose some of you guys here, but that's fine. When you read the rest of the book of Acts, do you know what we find out? God promises that his Holy Spirit will actually move and do the miraculous through both religious people and irreligious people. 
believers and unbelievers. So you're here this morning and you're like, Dan, this seems like a, it seems like a message that's written for the church people here. No, it is written for you because the same power that's available to the apostles of Jesus is available to you. The power to speak life in circumstances of death, the power to speak hope in circumstances of despair, the power to bring healing, the power to have faith, the power to live generously. It is available to all of us through the Holy Spirit. It is available. And until you really believe that, until you're sitting at your desk this week on Tuesday and you say, there is a power that I'm missing out on. Something is still missing. I'm saved. I've given my heart to Jesus. And yet it's like there's something that I've never been able to put my finger on. I want you to say to yourself, maybe, I'm missing out on a real relationship with the Holy Spirit. Maybe I'm not listening when he speaks. Maybe I'm assuming he's a force that I could manipulate to my own will rather than me being a force that he could manipulate to his will. I want you to begin to look at the Godhead, every member as active in your life every single day. The miraculous power is is available. All right. So he says this, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants so that men and women alike, they will prophesy. By the way, I want you to notice that it says in the last days. He doesn't say in the beginning of this new church thing. He doesn't say in the apostolic age, in the early church age, he says in the last days. And it was something that started in Acts chapter number one and two, and it still continues through today. All right. Then he says this, I will cause wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood, fire, clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. Miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, it's real. Miraculous power of the Holy Spirit is certainly available but I'll be the first to tell you it's unexplainable. When God moves, you will not be able to verbalize it. You won't be able to explain exactly what he means or what he's doing or how it was accomplished. I know some of you guys are like, Dan, I I read the whole Left Behind series. I know exactly what those verses mean. I love you, but no, you don't. None of us can fully explain what this prophecy means. And I'm okay with that because God has proven himself good and trustworthy in every moment leading up to this. And so whatever it is that he's talking about doing here, I believe he will still be good and trustworthy. Anytime God moves in your life, he will be good and trustworthy in whatever he does. One of the things, I read this really fascinating article the other day, and they were scanning the brains of Christians which means one, Christians do have brains. And number two, we can understand what is going on when we're looking at Christians who are reading the Bible, singing songs of worship, when they're charismatics who are speaking in tongues, we can actually image the brain and we can know a bit about what's going on. And do you know what's really fascinating? When they studied the brains of Christians, as we thought about God, as we read through the scripture, as we worshiped, do you know the parts of your brain that light up are the parts of your brain that are associated with nonverbal thought? 
Your brain does not think about God in terms of words. So that's why it's always so hard for you to articulate why you go to church on Sunday. Because it's like God is doing something so deep inside of you that words don't do it justice. It's not even that part of your brain that's interacting and engaging with God. It's deeper than that. And so you're not gonna be able to explain everything. You don't have to explain everything. If God does something miraculous in you and through you, that miracle will be enough for the people who see it. You won't have to give them answers. If your life is radically transformed by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, nobody will have to have an explanation. They'll say, I want whatever you've got. Don't have to explain it, probably never could. All right, let's wrap it up. He says, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We'll skip over to verse 37. And the Bible tells us that Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Where do we go from here? I'm missing power. I've never been able to articulate it. Now I realize it's because I've completely ignored the Holy Spirit. What do we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for or because of the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are far away from God, all who have been called, selected by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, like, you know, some preachers tend to do. And he strongly urged all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. When 3,000 people join a church in one day, you don't blame that on good preaching or nice music. That comes down to the Holy Spirit. That is power unlike anything we could muster on our own. And the reason why is because the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit is missional. That word missional means like focused on the mission. And the mission of the church, the mission of every believer is to glorify Jesus. When you read John chapter number 14 and, verse, and, and chapter number 16, do you know what you find? The mission of the Holy Spirit is also to glorify Jesus. It is to point people towards him. And so every time the Holy Spirit moves, Every time there's a miracle that's done, it is done with the intention that other people would be directed to Jesus. Remember what I told you last week, miracles are a sign. That's what the word means in the Greek. It is a sign pointing towards something bigger than itself. And so you have the opportunity to impact and influence other people, not for their own sake, not so they'll think you're awesome, but so that they will come to believe how good God is through the person of Jesus. This is the miracle that God wants to do through Connect Church. This is the miracle that God wants you to do in your family. This is the miracle that God wants you to do in your workplace. He wants you to be lo so loving, so kind, so generous, so faith-filled, so powerful that people look at you and all they see is Jesus. Okay, you say, all right, Dan, I haven't been experiencing the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. What's going on? What am I missing? Where do I go from here? Same thing that these guys in Acts chapter number two were asking. I'm gonna pose a question to you. I wonder, have you quenched the spirit, the Holy Spirit? Have you quenched the spirit through apathy or ignorance? If you read 1 Thessalonians chapter number five, the Bible says, do not 
quench the spirit. Don't do it. And I wonder if, just because nobody's ever really explained this to you, you didn't know if you've kind of ignored the Holy Spirit that's been speaking to you and trying to work through you each and every day. Or I wonder if you were raised in a church that told you stuff like this, it just doesn't happen anymore. That was for that age, it's not for today's age. And so because you didn't know or because you didn't think it was important, you've kind of ignored that. The word quench, it means to put out. Imagine a candle that gets snuffed out. If you're not careful, you can actually quench the flame of the Holy Spirit in your life. We could also quench the flame of the Holy Spirit in our church if we're not careful. And so if you have quenched the Spirit, either through ignorance or just apathy, I'm gonna encourage you to do three specific things. I want you to go back and read John chapter number 14 and 16. You will come to understand better who the Holy Spirit is. I want you to pray and pray specifically to the Holy Spirit. When I was a new Christian, I used to think, is it right to pray to Jesus or should I only be praying to the Father? Is it right to pray to the Holy Spirit or should I only be praying to Jesus? If they are all a part of the Trinity, if they are co-equal, co-powerful and co-eternal, then you can say, Holy Spirit, I need your power today. Holy Spirit, I need you present in this situation. I need you to fill this conversation. Do you know there are people that pray over this auditorium every week and they say, Holy Spirit, we want you to fill this place. We want you to move in here. We want you to do something that is so powerful that we could only ever attribute it to you. So I want you to read, I want you to pray, and then this week I want you to listen. Because if the Holy Spirit is a person and he wants to have a relationship and he wants to communicate with you and to you, then you've got to listen as he speaks. And if you have an open ear, you'll find opportunities where the Holy Spirit says you can make that situation better. You could step in and help them. And that's not your conscience. You've always thought, oh, that's my conscience. No, 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 that's the Holy Spirit. You have the opportunity to give them words of encouragement or give them words of correction. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And you then have the opportunity to act on the power that he promises to you. Maybe you've quenched the spirit. Maybe you've grieved the spirit. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter number four, do not grieve the spirit. We grieve the spirit when we have unconfessed sin. It's really what it comes down to. When we know what God wants from us and we choose to ignore it so that we can make ourselves happy and comfortable, then we sin. And when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants to transform your world, but he cannot transform your world if you live like the world. If you're no different from everybody else, then your life is not gonna point people to Jesus. It's gonna point towards you. It's gonna point towards your own comfort. It's gonna point towards the stuff you have. And instead, God wants to do something powerful, but he won't. He could, but he won't if you choose to grieve him by the things that you do week in and week out. If you say, ah, oh, man, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But that's me. I've grieved the spirit through sin. I'm going to give you three steps to take. I want you, first of all, to confess it. In prayer, just say, God, I know. I have run away from you. I haven't been living the way that you wanted me to. I've ignored your voice for a long time and I just wanna confess it. I wanna ask your forgiveness. Number one, do that. Number two, I want you to repent. That word repent is a biblical word. It's an important word. It means to have a change of mind about your situation. 
if you've been living a powerless life, if you've been held captive to sins and struggles and habits that you've been wanting to break free of for a long time, then the way you do that is by repenting and by turning to the Holy Spirit who offers you power to overcome anything that might be holding you back. And then the last thing I'm gonna encourage you to do is listen, listen, listen. We should be listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. We should be listening as he speaks to us as individuals, as he speaks to us as a congregation. Because when we listen, there is power to transform the world.